All right, Genesis chapter 25. There's a thought that's found in this passage that interests me greatly. And I want to draw your attention to a particular phrase, but we're going to read uh, just a few verses here to give us some context. Look at verse number 19. The Bible says, These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. The one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red all over like an hairy garment. They called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel. And his name was called Jacob. Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. I want you to look with me again at verse number 22. I want you to notice what Rebecca says here. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. Let's pray together this evening. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask that you give me the power and unction of the Holy Ghost. Father, that you would use my words, Father, in this sermon to speak to hearts, Lord, theirs and mine also. Father, that you would gain glory out of what takes place tonight. I pray that the high and holy name of your Son, Jesus Christ, would be lifted up, Father, that men might be drawn to him. Lord, we love you for all that you've done, all that you will do. But, Lord, we love you most of all for who you are. We ask all these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. There in verse number 22, Rebecca asks the interesting question, If it be so, why am I thus? Now, could I pause and just say for a moment, I've found myself asking that question at times. And maybe you found yourself asking that question at times. Now, you say, well, preacher, what do you mean? What does it mean when she says, if it be so? Well, what she was talking about in this verse uh, was her pregnancy uh, with Jacob and Esau. I say pregnancy, and I use that term a lot. You know, the Bible don't use that term pregnant. The Bible uses the term with child. You know, I think that's important, don't you? Uh, The Bible doesn't say with fetus. The Bible says with child. And uh, I think that's important. I understand I'll probably use the word pregnancy four or five times in this sermon. Amen. I probably used it already. But I think there's an important distinction that the Word of God makes there. And so she's speaking about her situation when she says this. And uh, there is a little bit of reading between the lines I believe is necessary if we're going to understand what she's saying here. We've got to put ourselves in Rebecca's shoes. We assume from this passage that she was early on in her pregnancy. Now you say, preacher, why would you assume that? Because I don't think she would be wondering why the baby was moving so violently if she was later on in her pregnancy. I don't believe she would be wondering about that. I believe probably this was very early on in this time in her life. And it seems unusual to her that there's so much movement. There's this turmoil taking place inside her. I can kind of see Rebecca as she goes and begins to talk uh, to other the women uh, that are around her. And she begins to ask, you know, was it this way with you? That's one thing you'll find out. Women that are with child, they like to talk 
talk about it. Amen. And uh, women that used to be with child, they like to talk about it. And you get a few of them together, and pretty soon they're swapping stories like veterans. Amen. Uh, you know, like POWs or something. And uh, they'll start to talk and share stories. And I can kind of imagine that Rebecca did this. I can imagine she went to other women and said, you know, was this normal? Is this, is this what you've been going through? And I can kind of see the look of concern on her face when some of the women said, well, no, honey, that's, it shouldn't be like that. There's something wrong. There, there's a problem going on. And so she asked herself this simple question. If this is the will of God, why is there this struggle? If this is what is supposed to be happening in my life, then why am I thus? Can I say there's been times when this preacher has felt that way? Times when I've been trying to serve God and believed I was in the heart and center of the will of God, but it seemed like there was a struggle taking place, and it was a natural thing to ask, Lord, if you're so near me, why am I thus? Lord, if you're in control, why am I thus? Lord, if this is your will, why? Am I thus? That's what she's asking in this passage. Now, there's a few things I think we need to understand about the condition that she had here. I, I want to say that, first off, the condition she had was providential. The Bible says, notice it again there in uh, verse number 21, And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord in, was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. This was not a uh, normal occurrence that took place. And in fact, it was a supernatural miracle that had taken place in the life of Rebekah whenever she conceived and uh, began to bear Jacob and Esau. This was providential. This was something that was supernatural that was taking place. Can I say to you, friend, that as believers, our salvation is providential? Now, you say, what do you mean about that, preacher? Are you saying that it's not my choice? No, it's your choice. Uh, but I'm saying I believe it's the will of God for everybody to be saved. Amen? I believe that's the will of God. Now, I don't believe that God's going to force any man to be saved. Uh, and I don't believe that every man will be saved. But the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. If you're saved by the grace of God, then that's the will of God. There's no question. That's the will of God for your life. I want you to notice not only that, but it was a promised birth. The Bible says uh, that Isaac was the seed of Abraham, and it was in Isaac's lineage that the seed, meaning the Messiah, would be called. This presented a problem. I mean, if, if the Lord spoke to you and said, now your children and your children's children, your children's children's children are going to be a nation unto me, and from them the Messiah uh, is going to arrive, and you find out that your wife is barren, that's a troubling thought. That's a troubling thought. But do you know when the Word of God promises something, it provides for it? I mean, she understood that even though her physical body did not seem able for the task that God had called her to do, she knew that God had promised that it would be thus. Do you know that God's made a promise to you and I that He'd save us if we called on His name? Do you know that? He made a promise. He made a promise to you and me. That's why people struggle sometimes with assurance of their salvation. They say, well, you know, I'm just worried I didn't get it. Well, you, you didn't get it. He got it on Calvary. And if you asked Him for it, He gave it to you. Amen? And people say, well, I'm just afraid I'm not, you know, I didn't do right. Well, that's okay. It's not about your doing. It's about Him when He said it is finished. It is done on Calvary. He settled it. He finished it. And He's made a promise to you, the Bible says, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. God's made a promise to you. If you, uh, in uh, true faith and repentance, call upon Jesus Christ uh, as your Savior and ask Him to forgive you your sins, He's made a promise that He is going to save you. 
Can I give you something else just very quickly? I believe this was a preserved condition. I mean, it's just implied that if God promised that Jacob and Esau were going to be born, then God had set His seal to this matter that regardless of what happened, this condition, her being with child, this pregnancy, was going to see through to its end. God had promised to preserve this. Can I say that I'm thankful that God has made a promise to preserve my salvation? Amen? I, I mean, I'm glad it's not in my hands. If it was in my hands, this preacher would mess it up before he ever climbed out of this pulpit. I, I mean, if it was up to me, and I'm thankful it's not, because if it was up to me, I wouldn't get out those double doors before I'd be on my way to hell once again. But the Bible says that we're sealed under the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit of promise. So in a lot of ways, the condition that Rebecca has here resembles our salvation. But do you know that even after we're saved, that doesn't mean that there's not a struggle. Even after we're saved, that doesn't mean that there's not a struggle. I want to read something to you very quickly, and you can turn there in Romans chapter 7. We're going to read a few verses here. Romans chapter number 7. And I want to read what Paul wrote concerning this struggle. Do you know the Bible teaches that uh, we're carnal, sold under sin? It's what we're going to read here in a moment. And you and I, we're born and we're naturally sinners. We don't become sinners. We're born sinners. But when we're saved, the Bible says that the spiritual man is awakened within us. And so when a man gets saved, far from the struggle being over, the struggle has really just began. Look at what it says in verse 14. Paul writing says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do... Now, I'm going to try to read this slow so that you can gather this. For that which I do... Paul says, the things that I do, he says, I allow not. I'm doing things that I don't allow, I don't permit, I don't, I don't wish to do, I don't want to do. For what I would, in other words, the things that I want to do, that do I not. So Paul says, I find myself doing the things I said I'd never do and not doing the things I said I would always do. He says, but what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, Paul says, in other words, if I'm doing the things I don't want to do, I consent unto the law that it is good. Paul says, if I find that I am lawless, because I cannot govern myself, and I cannot govern my life, and I cannot govern my heart, the things that I don't want to do, I'm doing those things, I consent that the law is good, that there's a need for the law, or that the law has a validity, that the law has a purpose, that the law is right, and that I am wrong. He says, now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Paul says, I've found that, that when, when I listen to me, I get in a mess. Somebody say amen right there. When I listen to me, I get in a mess. Paul says, I've found out that when I do the thing that's natural to me, I'm doing the thing that's wrong according to God. I saw just the other day someone put something somewhere, I don't know, probably Facebook. I don't know, we need to get rid of that Facebook, amen? Get our face in the book more than we are. But, uh, you know, I was looking on Facebook, somebody put something on there uh, that said uh, that nothing that feels good is wrong. Now, that's just plumb ignorant. I mean, that's just plumb ignorant. You jump out of a plane without a parachute, it's going to feel pretty good for the first few seconds, amen? But you're going to find out it's not all it's cracked up to be. Just If it feels good, then it's not wrong. Do you know the opposite is true? Now, that's not to say that everything that feels good is wrong, but that's to say this, the things that the natural man craves, those are wrong. Those are wrong. 
I mean, the things that we would naturally do left to our own devices. Paul says, that is sin within me. It is my sin nature that commits those things. That's why he says, I'm carnal, sold under sin. He said, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. There's not a single redeeming quality of Saul of Tarsus, is what he's saying. He's saying it must be Paul the Apostle. It must be Paul the Apostle. Because Saul of Tarsus, he'd still be on the road to Damascus. He'd still be killing people. He'd still be slaying people. He'd still be the minister of Satan if it was up to Saul of Tarsus. He says, for to will is present with me. Here's where we see the struggle. For to will is present with me. In other words, the want to is there. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, in other words, the good things I want to do, I do not. But the evil which I would not, those things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing them. Now, if I do that I would not, if I do the things I don't want to do, it's no more I that doeth, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members. Underscore this. Warring. Warring against the law of my mind. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Paul is describing the struggle that you and I have as believers. You see, when you got born again, your old nature didn't go away. It's just you got a new nature to combat it. Uh, That's why, you know, uh, the Bible says, uh, if the Son shall make you free, you're free indeed. Because a natural man has no capacity to be spiritual, to do the right thing. He can do the moral thing, but he can't do the spiritual thing. Do you know a mortician can dress a dead man up to look pretty good? He'll look right, but he won't be right until he's resurrected. I mean, he can paint him up, and they send him off to the morgue. And I mean, first thing you know, fellas live their whole life. And that, they hadn't ever, I mean, uh, you know, they'd live their whole life farming. They got skin like a catcher's mitt, amen. I mean, they got, they're getting buried with a, with a packet of red man in their pocket. First thing mortician does, paint them up with makeup. <laughs> if that ain't irony, what do you think is? And, uh, you know, the first thing the mortician tries to do is make them look right and paint them up and try to make them look like something that they're not. But it's not fooling anybody, is it? They may look right, but they're not right. And they won't be right until they're resurrected. Amen? And so we can look right and look spiritual, but we can't be spiritual until we've been born again. All we have is the natural man. We have no capacity to do that which is spiritual. We have no capacity uh, to, to follow God. We have no capacity to please Him. It's only when we've been resurrected through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's only then that we can do what's right. It's only then. And so there's this struggle that goes back and forth within us. And Paul spoke of this and spoke of the the fighting, and he uses the term warring that is taking place in our members and in our body. And I believe in our soul. The Bible talks about certain things that war against our soul. And child of God, don't think for one moment that just because you're born again that the fight and the battle and the struggle are over, because they're not. They're not. The war has been won at Calvary, but the battle still rages in our daily lives. We still have a choice to make. In fact, we might say that there's two manner of people struggling within us. There's choices we have to make day in and day out concerning our lives and the thing we're going to do. And whatever we feed, that's what's going to dominate. You feed the flesh, the flesh is going to dominate. 
You feed the Spirit, the Spirit's going to dominate. And I think sometimes it confuses the child of God because they struggle with sin. Maybe you don't, but this preacher does. And they struggle with sin in their life. And it's easy sometimes to think, am I really saved? Am I really saved? That's what people think. I mean, isn't that right? I mean, how many people have you known that have said, well, pre- you know, preacher or friend, they might have been speaking to you, said, you know, I, I, I just don't know if I'm saved. Well, why? Well, I do so many wrong things. And I will agree to this. A person ain't going to live a lifestyle of sin without the chastisement of God on their life and without conviction if they're born again. But just because you're born again, that don't mean you're never going to sin again. Well, that means you're going to be aware when you do sin. And so we see a struggling taking place. I want to give you three thoughts just very quickly, and I'm not going to keep you very long tonight. Not from this point onward, Brother Ralph, not from this point onward. I want to say a word about the question that was on her mind. Notice her confidence first off. She does not say, I am not, or it is not so. But instead, she says, if it be so. She is uh, having confidence in the promise of the Lord. She knows and understands that God had promised these children to her. And she knows and understands that God keeps her promise. And so asking this question is not an exhibition of unbelief. Can I say that people that struggle with their salvation because they deal with these things and because there's this struggle, it's not an exhibition of unbelief to struggle. Do you know that? I mean, this may be news to some of us, but you're human. You're not God. You're never going to be God. And in this life and in this sojourn, there will always be concerns and questions and probably doubts in our heart and mind. And though it's not ideal for us to doubt, it's certainly normal and natural for us to doubt. She's not doubting when she says this. She, she understands what God has said, but notice her confidence, but also her confusion. There's still a struggle. She says, I know that God is good, but why is my life the way it is? I I know that God is in control. Some of you I'm hitting home because you've asked the same questions to an almighty God before. Lord, I know you're in control, but why can't I seem to be under control? Lord, I know you're on your throne, but why is it? that I am in despair. I know that you're good, but why do I feel so bad? This is what she's dealing with. Why am I thus? Why is this struggle taking place within me? Notice she has a consolation that's given to her. And I like this. I mean, this is just some practical truths. I understand with this ain't going to burn the barn down. But I want you to notice, the Bible says she went to inquire the Lord. Preacher, what do I do if I'm discouraged? You go to inquire of the Lord. Preacher, what do I do if I'm having doubts about my salvation? Now, let me say this. It's never wrong and it's never a bad idea to grab somebody that can take a Bible and open it and give you some encouragement and say, uh, some exhortation in the Word of God. That's never a bad thing. And I would always advise you that if you're struggling with something, it may not be your salvation. You may be struggling with the will of God in your life. It's not a bad thing to grab some godly counsel and say, would you pray with me? Would you help me as I seek God's face? But let me tell you something, friend. There's only so much help the people around you can give you. At some point, you're going to have to go and inquire of the Lord. That's where the answer is going to come from. When she met with confusion, she inquired of the Lord. When she met with contention... She inquired of the Lord. She had a resource and a recourse. 
It wasn't just her main resource. It was her first recourse. I mean, that was the first thing that she did. We don't have any record of her uh, going to the uh, Egyptian magicians in Egypt. We don't have any record of that. We don't have any record of her trying to find some kind of uh, ancient sorcerer or something of that sort. We, we, don't even, we don't even really find Rebecca going to find the solution to her problem at Isaac. We find her going to the Lord. We find her going to God to find the help and peace that she needs. We see the question on, our, on her mind, but I want to say a word about the contention that's going on in her womb. You know, as I read this passage, the first thing that I thought, especially with my wife being with child and us being so close, you know, it's, uh, he's to the point now, and, uh, and I mean, I don't want everybody staring at her belly, amen, but, but most of you that have, that have uh, been, you know, you've, you've had a wife that's pregnant or you've been pregnant, most of you men haven't, but, but the women that have... You know what it's like in that last month or so. And it's like the Loch Ness Monster. I mean, she'll be laying there, and I'll look over, and you'll see it moving across that belly. And you're thinking, my goodness, how many of them are in there? Amen. Are they in a canoe? I thought I saw a paddle in there. How are they? What are they doing in there? Some of you may have had twins. (laughs) Could you imagine them fighting each other? That's what the Bible says. They struggled together. Now, that doesn't just mean that they were both. That means they struggled. They fought and they feuded one with another. It's bad when they're in You can't whip them when they're in there, Ralph. I mean, I told her one day, I said, honey, I, I'd whip him, but I'd have to punch you to do it. <laughs> you know, you can't do anything about it. That tells me something. Do you know that that implies to me that it was a powerful contention that was taking place? It was significant. It was noticeable was not easy to cope with. Do you know the Bible says in James chapter number 4, do you think that the Scripture saith in vain uh, that the spirit lusteth against the flesh, that they envy one another, they're envious one of another, they lust to envy? Do you know, let me tell you something. That spiritual man in you, he's jealous of that natural man. And that natural man in you, he's jealous of that spiritual man. Do you know why that is? Because only one of them is going to have the dominion over your life. Only one of them. You'll either be a servant of yourself or you'll be a servant of the Savior, one of the two. There's no room for middle ground. And so it is a powerful contention. I I, I think that we need to to preach the Word of God straight and true, Brother Ralph. And I don't think we need to pull any punches. I I, I don't ever want to pull punches. But, But can I say that I believe we ought to be compassionate to the struggle people are going through as well? Let me tell you something. People that really care about their spirituality can be going through a pretty rough time when they're fighting this battle. The people that don't care nothing about their spirituality, they ain't fighting the battle. And the natural man is taken over in his entirety. Why do you think that, that Elijah found himself under a juniper tree? He was fighting this battle. On the one hand, he knew he should be looking unto Jehovah, the Lord God of Israel. But here on the other hand, Jezebel makes a death threat to him. The Bible says when he saw that, he took his eyes off of God and put them on his circumstances. When this happened, he goes and it brings him to the point of death. That's a pretty powerful contention. There's people struggling with things you wouldn't imagine. And you may be struggling with something that nobody around you would imagine. You may be going through things that nobody else could identify with. And hey, friend, they might not even be that big of a deal to them if they knew about it. But to you and with what you're going through, it's a big deal. I used to always get a little aggravated whenever I, whenever I was a youth pastor because of the way people treated young people. 
And I understand, I mean, young people, they everything's a big deal to young people, amen? I mean, everything is a big deal to young people. And I would see adults sometime. You'd have this this little young person that that come in, and they a little boyfriend or little girlfriend broke up with them, and the world was just crushed. And I'd see adults sometimes, and they kind of scoff at them. You know what I mean? They kind of laugh at them. They well, they'll get over it. Well, look how cute they are. They're so heartbroken. Hey, friend, you forgot what it was like to be 15 years old. What's happened to you? Because it's a big deal when you're their age. That's a big deal. We look at it, I, I kind of look back at, at my time whenever I was, I was growing up. And, and when I was uh, little, I mean, not real little, but I, I, wasn't, I was never a, a fat kid, but I was a little bit overweight. Somebody say amen, okay? <laughs> a little bit. That used to bother me. That used to bother me. I look back on it now, and I mean, it's, it's not that I've gotten any skinner. I've just got better at being fat, amen, and more comfortable with it. But, you know, when I, when I was a kid, I mean... You know, that bothered me. That bothered me. And I can look back now and I can say, how silly that was. But it wasn't silly to that little boy. You see, that struggle may not be real to you, but it's sure real to them. Be careful how condescending you are to young people. One day they'll choose your nursing home. One day they'll have... And and no kidding, no kidding now, listen carefully. One day you will be depending on them. It may not seem like a real struggle to you, but that's because it's not in your womb. I'm sure there's other people that looked at it and said, Oh, Rebecca's just being silly. Well, I've had kids. Rebecca's just being silly. Oh, she just, she's just playing. She just, it wasn't in their womb. <laughs> and it's easy to look at other people's problems and say, Ah, that's no big deal. That's no, it ain't your struggle. Maybe if you was in their shoes, it would be. Maybe if you were in their shoes, you'd know what it was like. We see that it was a painful contention. If you've ever been in this shape, you know, my wife, sometimes we'd be, we'll, we'll be laying in bed and, I, and she'll go, ow! And I'll go, what? Because <laughs> that's scary at three in the morning, amen? And uh, he'll say, he kicked me, or she'll say, he'll kick me in the ribs. And I'll say, well, I, it wasn't me. <laughs> she'll say, he punched me in the lung, you know, and, that, and, and could you imagine having two of them? Could you imagine having two of them? I say that hurt. And you know it's a painful thing to have to make choices between following the Spirit of God and between following the sway of the flesh. It's not easy. Whoever told you this trip was going to be easy, hey, I'm thankful that it's paid for and that it's guaranteed. Nobody said it'd be easy. People, it's funny how we think today. We we kind of think that, that the Lord would never ask us to do anything that's hard. Isn't that funny? That's how Christianity is today. Lord would never ask us to do anything that's hard to do. I mean, Lord would never ask me to give when I ain't got it. Why? He gave when He didn't. Lord would never ask me to break off friendship with somebody. Why? The Bible says there was multitudes that went away and walked not with Him anymore. Well, Lord would never ask me to make a fool of myself. Why? He hung on Calvary for you. And we kind of think sometimes, Lord's never going to ask me to do anything that's hard to do. That's the mentality of Christianity today. But we find that biblical Christianity is that, the exact opposite. We find that biblical Christianity is it's not likened to a playground, it's, it's likened to a battleground. It's not likened uh, to a walk in the park, uh, it's likened to a stroll down a straight and narrow path. It's not an easy thing. Sometimes it's painful to make those decisions. Hey, you're not going to get through this life and please God doing what you want to do. 
You're not going to get through life and please God doing what you want to do. You're going to have to do some things that you don't want to do. You're going to have to keep from doing some things that you do want to do. Because you know what it amounts to? Two nations, two people contending within you. God's not, His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He's higher than us. He wouldn't be much of a God if He wasn't. And God did not come to to build up yourself. God came to save you from yourself. God did not come to to encourage your self-confidence. God came to shatter your ego and bring you to your knees at Calvary's cross and cause you to call on the Savior. So why would we think that He's going to be consumed with the notion of us being able to do what we want? It's not about what we want. It's about what He wants. And sometimes it's painful. Sometimes we've got to do things we don't want to do. It's funny, you know, that, boy, that blanket gets heavy on Sunday mornings, don't it? <laughs> I mean, people that can get up and move and go and do everything they want to do all through the week, man, Sunday mornings, they get weak as a kitten. They can't even lift that blanket off of No, what it is, they don't want to. Their natural man doesn't want to. And they've got choice they're going to make. Am, am I going to do it or am I not? It's funny, we can talk to everybody in the world. I talk too much. Nobody amened right there, Well, I don't understand that. I figured somebody took a lap. I talk too much. I've always talked too much. I get it from my mama. She talks too much. Amen? Probably because dad don't talk at all. She had to do something to make up for it. And, I, and I, it's funny, you know, I can talk to anybody about anything. They don't even have to be in the conversation. Just as long as I can talk. That's all, that's, I mean, that's what matters, right? And, and I can talk to them. And it's so easy to talk to people. And you can talk to him about anything in the world, but when it comes time to talk to him about Jesus Christ, that natural man, he bucks up on you there. I mean, he, them, the, the hair on them hackles begins to raise up, and he says, whoa, this isn't something I want to do. We have a choice we're going to make. It's painful sometimes. Doing things we don't want to do and not doing things we do want to do. It is a painful contention, but it's a purposed contention. It's purpose. There's a reason for it. It's worth it. It's profitable to fight this, this struggle. Uh, we may not see it now. Do you know why we're... Uh, it's funny. Carnality begets carnality. Do you know that? The reason that we become more carnal is because we are carnal. And you see, the problem is this. We don't guard our walk with the Lord because we don't value our walk with the Lord. And we don't value our walk with the Lord because we don't guard our walk with the Lord. And so carnality begets carnality. Somebody that's out of the will of God, out of church, and out of their Bible, and out of their prayer closet, and out of their tithe, and out of all these things, it's easy to stay that way for them. Do you know why they've laid down and let the natural man take over? The spiritual man, he's weak as a kitten. And it's just every once in a while he's able to squeak out a word of rebuke or conviction. Because most of the time, if, if they're not, most people that ain't in church ain't in their Bible. Is that true? Most people that ain't in church, ain't, a lot of people that are in church ain't in their Bible. Most people that are out of church ain't in their Bible. And if you, ain't, if you ain't under preaching, and if you ain't under the Word of God, then the sword of the Spirit has been removed from your life. It's been removed. That cutting power of God has been removed from your life. And so carnality begets carnality. If you don't fight this thing, it'll suck you under. If you don't fight this thing, it's amazing. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands here, uh, but just to echo what I just said, anybody that's ever been out of church before, you know how easy it is to stay out of church. It just sucks you under, don't it? Uh, you know why? Because usually when you get to the point that you're missing church needlessly, it's a result of carnality anyway. 
And so when you miss church, you didn't miss anything because you weren't getting anything when you were there because your heart wasn't in the right place anyway. And so you say, well, I wasn't so bad. You know, I stay home. I watch programs I don't never get to watch. I can go crack a barrel. Ain't nobody there, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. And I can kind of, you know, I can do my own thing. And, and then, then the next week you say, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And then you wake up and you say, boy, it wasn't so bad staying out last week. The week before, the week before, the week before. Before you know it, you spent years, years out of the house of God. Carnality begets carnality. So it, it's a profitable and purposed reason that we fight this thing. These are two nations, two manner of people struggling within us. I'll give you one final thought and I'm going to close. We see the conquest of her delivery. There came a day when she didn't have to struggle with that anymore. There came a day when those two natures were separated. I believe, and you can believe differently, I know that Jacob can represent a lot of things. Certainly Jacob, whose name means supplanter, was a supplanter. And I preach messages where Jacob was picture of the devil before, and I believe he can be. But I believe in the grand scheme of things, we find that Jacob is a picture of the spiritual man. Even though he was carnal at times, he was the chosen vessel of God for this time period in the nation of Israel's history. Esau, on the other hand, I believe is a picture of the natural man. You know, the Bible says the elder shall serve the younger. I'm thankful there's coming a day when that natural man's going to be done away with, aren't you? I'm thankful that despite all the struggles and despite all the difficult, despite my failure and despite my apathy, the Bible says our vile body shall be changed like unto His glorious body. 1 John chapter 3 tells us, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, oh, this is beautiful, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. There's coming a day we won't have to struggle with this anymore. There's coming a day when the natural man will be done away with and the spiritual man will be all that remains. That's not based upon our faithfulness. That's based upon God's faithfulness. God's always faithful. There is coming a day. Uh, one of these days when uh, we, I thought about it this morning when we were singing Sweet Hour of Prayer, this robe of flesh I'll drop and rise to seize the everlasting prize and shout while passing through the air, Farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. On that day, whether it comes through the grave or through the second coming, whether it's the undertaker or the uppertaker, the Bible teaches us that the influence of the natural man will be done away with. There is a day when we'll be delivered from it. But can I tell you that as you draw breath today, it's not that day yet. You're going to have to battle it. You have a choice to make. Young people will. And older people, I wasn't going to point at nobody when I said older people. <laughs> Younger people will. <laughs> point at dad. Older people will. You know. We're all going to struggle with it. I don't care who you are. The question is, are you willing to fight that war? I've seen the lives of young people wrecked by them getting out of the will of God, out of the Word of God, out of the house of God, out of the prayer closet. And they wouldn't fight that fight. They didn't realize until it was too late the toll it had taken on their life. Can I encourage you tonight in saying this? God will help you to stay in that fight. God will help you to, to conquer in that fight. God will help you to walk with Him if you're willing to walk with Him. The question is, are you willing or not.
Paul said, for to will is present with me. To will is... Paul said, I have a desire. But how to do good I find not. You know what he says at the end of the verse? He says, a wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank my God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. The answer is through the cross of Calvary. He said, preacher, I thought the cross of Calvary is for unsaved people. You thought wrong. There's no question the cross of Calvary is for unsaved people. But do you know that the cross of Calvary has just as much effect in the life of the believer today? Because it's there that we go to have our uh, sins cleansed from us and to be washed. And you say, I thought we went to Christ the high priest. Well, why is he the high priest? He's the high priest because of Calvary. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You may have something in the area of your life, some area that no one knows about. I'm convinced the, the, the ugliest secrets are the ones hidden most away. I, I'm convinced it's the things we bury the deepest that are the darkest. There may be something going on in your life nobody even knows about. Let me encourage you and say this. I'm, I'm not your priest. I'm your preacher. You don't have to come to me to have you be forgiven. You have a high priest. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has passed into the heavens. Christ is willing to forgive you of you. You say, you don't know what I did. It doesn't matter what you did. You say, I'm worse than everybody else. No, you're not. Not if you believe the Bible. Because Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. You're going to have to fight with him about it. Amen? No, I don't care what you've done. God's willing to forgive you of it. The question is, are you willing to let him? If you are tonight, I, I promise you, there's a place at this altar... And there's a place at the throne room of grace where God is ready to hear and cleanse and wash and justify and forgive if you're willing to allow Him to do.